Aging Matters on WERA is brought to you in part by Synergy Home Care. Synergy Home Care provides premier in-home care for you or your loved one throughout Northern Virginia, including personal care, homemaker services, companion and memory care, and transportation. Call 703-558-3435 or visit SynergyHomeCare.com for more information. Synergy Home Care will find a care solution to meet your needs. Good afternoon and welcome to Aging Matters on Arlington Independent Media's community radio station, WERA Arlington, 96.7 FM. I'm Cheryl Beversdorf, your host. For over 50 years, health experts and health industry leaders have claimed traditional dietary and exercise guidelines promote healthy aging. However, as America's older adults strive to follow these guidelines, Many are aging with increased severity of chronic diseases that begin at younger ages. My guest today is Dr. Millie Osborne, holistic psychiatrist and author of Fit to Eat, How Industry is Making Us Sick and What to Do About It. She's going to talk about chronic diseases among older adults and why current nutritional guidelines are contributing to an increase in illness and death within this population. She will also provide new perspectives and nutritional guidance that can reduce the likelihood of chronic diseases. So welcome, Dr. Osborne, and thank you for joining me today. Thank you, Cheryl. Thank you for having me. Well, you're quite welcome. This is uh, certainly a timely topic when we start thinking about chronic diseases amongst our older population. So let's start by having you explain what does a book about nutrition and chronic diseases have to do with older adults? Or tell us, why did you write this book? One of the few areas of consensus in healthcare, and this is one of the few, is that most chronic disease, most chronic diseases are the result of nutrition and lifestyle choices. I wrote this book in collaboration with several people, including uh, several doctors, to bring healing, what I'm hoping to be very healing information to as many people as possible. You know, it's, you, can only, uh, you can only inform but so many people from an office setting. And I, I was hoping that um, putting it in writing and putting a lot of information that was uncovered and discovered, not just by me, but by many other, not just doctors, but also lay people who were just, you know, they wanted help, you know, what's going on. So I consulted with several people and collaborated uh, to bring this book to as many people as possible so that they can help improve their aging process. Over the last 30 years, I've just seen an increasing number of people suffering with these diseases as they age, myself included, and I will tell the audience more about that later. My goal, though, is to, do, to enlighten and empower people to age with fitness and health. Okay, and to that point, Dr. Osborne, let's just understand what is meant by chronic diseases. 
explain to us what are the most common uh, chronic diseases among older adults? Just to clarify what, uh, what I mean by chronic, and this is a standard uh, definition, that chronic means any condition that lasts more than about six months. So if you have a condition and it's less than six months and then it's gone, that would, have, that would still be considered an acute or short-term condition. So we're talking about diseases that affect people not just for more than six months, but for years, and in many cases, like half their lifetime. So what is meant by chronic diseases? The number one chronic disease is heart disease. Um, let me finish the a list. Let's see. Cancer, lung diseases, high blood pressure, chronic pain, often from arthritis, depression, memory problems leading to dementia, and obesity disease. Many people don't consider obesity a disease, but it is in every way a disease that results in chronic illness. And to that point then, what are the risk factors for chronic diseases? Talk about not only risk factors, but possible causes. Mm -hmm. What brings all of these types of chronic diseases that you're describing? Uh, why are they prevalent among older adults? Exactly. Um, well, different diseases, what we, what we understand at this point is that different diseases have different risks and causes. Um, However, so the list is long if you want to um, tease out the risk, risk factors that are studied and identified for each of the individual uh, conditions that I listed earlier. But there is a central theme to all of them in terms of the risk and the causes. And that's in the form of, of our immune system. Um, and our immune systems seem to be in a state where it is contributing to most of these diseases. That's, that's the central theme. Is that also then associated with aging? Is the relationship with the immune system connected to the aging process? Yes, because when we are younger, we tend to have what we call a lot more reserve. We can get away with you know, a broken ankle even that heals within a few months. When we, as we get older, and that's because when we're younger, we have what's called a lot of reserve, a lot of cushion to heal. And we have, our cells are a little bit more youthful. And so, but as we age, we, we, um, we tend to be, get a little bit more sensitive to the same insult. And so a 60 years old, I'm 59, so we're talking about me too. Um, <laughs> as we age, the same broken ankle, instead of taking a few months to heal, may, may, may develop chronic pain that lasts for years and may not heal for a good year or more. And so the diseases that are associated with aging, um, all of them, almost all of them are more prevalent as we age because we do develop less reserve, less cushion for healing them in the acute phase. And I would imagine also that uh, you're talking a little bit more about physiologically 
uh, insofar as chronic diseases, but could you also say that just in general, the chronic diseases that you've been describing affect the lives of older adults more than just physiologically, but mentally, emotionally? Talk a little bit about that in terms of what what kind of an impact uh, this whole situation has on the lives of older adults. Certainly. Disease accelerates aging, breaking down our bodies and our mind. There's considerable overlap. Chronic diseases, unfortunately, are being normalized in industry because they're increasingly common. And so with that, we are told that a pill uh, can prevent the damage our bodies and minds go through. So the older we are, the more we find ourselves on pills. And the older we get, the more pills that we are prescribed. These pills have side effects too that cause additional problems. Um, Between the chronic disease, the foods we eat, and the pills we take, a vicious cycle evolves. More about that vicious cycle later. Um, I'd like to share my own personal experience with chronic disease. Um, For since 2007, 2007, 2008, I've had chronic knee pain that took me out of a sport that I liked a lot, and um, and it just wouldn't heal. I then uh, became a vegetarian for the purpose of helping to cleanse my body and hoping that I would heal faster from what had become now chronic knee pain. Um, it didn't work. I I lost a little weight, which wasn't the reason why I went, I became a vegetarian. But what did happen was the chronic pain started eating at me. And this is how physical conditions, chronic physical conditions can start impacting your mental health as well as your your emotional health. So if you can imagine, suddenly now I can't do a sport I enjoy. We're now going on years. The knee pain is still there. I have to wear a knee brace. It's swelling up so much. I mean, I don't want to wear shorts because I don't want to show my, my um, during the summer because I don't want people to see my knee brace. And it was very depressing. It was very upsetting. And it definitely impacted, adversely impacted my emotional health. And I suspect that perhaps a situation that you described might be the case in the lives of other older adults as well. And we're going to talk a little bit more about that later. I wanted to get to one term that I did see in your book. It's called metabolic syndrome. What does that mean? And are the causes and risk factors of that different, say, than what we've been talking about in connection with chronic diseases? Right. So metabolic syndrome is not a disease. It's not a disease itself. What it is, it's a list of five factors that we know from valid research increases the risk of the chronic diseases, okay? And we call it metabolic syndrome because it ends up being a cluster of multiple different diseases that are raising our risk factors for for these other uh, diseases. So let me just list the five factors that are involved in making a diagnosis of metabolic syndrome. Five of them. The first one is if a person has high blood pressure. The second is if a person has a high fasting blood sugar. The third third is divided by male and female. So the third is waist circumference. In men, if, if, if men have a waistline that's greater than 40 inches, 
For women, that number is greater than 35 inches. Number four is high triglycerides, a type of fat in your blood. And then number five is a low HDL cholesterol, which many people have heard of. I know some of these sound technical, but um, most people have heard of a lot of these terms already. Those are the five risk, identified risk factors. Now, you cannot make a diagnosis of metabolic syndrome unless a person has at least three of the five I just listed. Okay? And so metabolic syndrome in and of itself is not a disease, but what it is, is it's an identifier so that we can identify the risks of a person developing more disease. And these five factors, high blood pressure, high blood sugar, um, enlarged waistline beyond 35 or 40 inches, high triglycerides, and low HDL cholesterol, those five factors, are they have been identified as creating this syndrome if you have at least three of them. And if you have metabolic syndrome, we know from valid research that your risk of pretty much all the other chronic diseases goes up tremendously. And so since it sounds like the metabolic syndrome and what you're talking about here, is that a precursor for the likelihood of of chronic disease occurrence? Is, Is that what you're saying? In some ways, it's a precursor. It depends on the the risk factors that I listed. So for instance, a person can have a high fasting blood sugar, and that's one of the criteria for metabolic syndrome, but that doesn't mean they have metabolic syndrome. That same person can be diagnosed with diabetes and not have high blood pressure and have a very slim, slim waistline and have normal triglycerides and have normal HDL cholesterol. So by definition, that person with diabetes does not have metabolic syndrome. However, diabetes by itself increases the risk of all these other factors occurring. There's a lot of overlap. And so to that point, then, it would be necessary, depending on what the symptoms are that they're having, there would, it would be necessary for an older adult, say, to go to a physician to get this diagnosed? What would be the next steps if they are showing some of these symptoms that you're talking about in connection with metabolic syndrome? What would be the next steps? Would be to have their healthcare provider do some diagnostic tests, an exam, a good history, right, exactly, um, to clarify what is going on, what are their conditions, there are many people, you know, high, high blood pressure is called a silent killer for a reason because many people are walking around with it and they don't know they have it um, until they have their first stroke. So, yes, it is um, a great idea to go to your doctor and basically to keep an eye on all of this to make sure that, okay, even if you have diabetes, what are, what are these other things happening that tend to happen in people who have diabetes? And I would assume then that uh, since you talked about it a little bit earlier, that this whole uh, scenario occurs more often in older adults. Yes. Correct? Yes, absolutely. The older we get, the more likely we are to, to develop metabolic syndrome. Yes. Okay. Well, what I wanted to find out then, because we want to get back to 
uh, nutrition, mm -hmm. which in the nutritional guidelines, as I indicated in uh, the introduction and, and your book, is there evidence that nutrition may be a major reason for older adults having health-related issues? Yes. Let me just start with, this is an area where there is, it's one of the rare and few areas in healthcare where pretty much any, any you know, nurse, doctor, healthcare provider you talk to will say, oh, yeah, 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 there's definitely a, a relationship between um, our, you know, our activity, our nutrition, and the development of these chronic diseases, okay? So there's consensus there. Now, what is that consensus based on? Um, the, that consensus is based on the evidence is found in just about every textbook on basic human physiology. So the evidence is more related to our basic physiology. And we know that our bodies don't like too much of anything or too little of anything. Okay. If you have too many of a certain, too much of a certain hormone running around, you develop disease. If you have too little, you develop disease. Um, we know that there are certain things that the body just doesn't like and will react to. And the reaction is called inflammation. And we know that if people walk around with inflammation in their body on a regular basis, they're more likely to develop other chronic diseases. So um, the evidence is found in our textbooks and, um, and the causes, too much carbohydrate, too much inflammation, too much insulin. When you look at, a, and I'm, try, not, I'm trying not to get too technical, but on a basic level, most people understand that insulin goes up when we eat sugar. What most people may not understand is that insulin shoots up when we eat carbohydrates, period. Sugar is just one of those carbohydrates. And what we see in, these, in, the, in, the, in nutrition is that the majority of the average American diet is made up of carbohydrates. And so what does that translate to? That translates to um, higher insulin based on a, a, a mainly carbohydrate form of eating. The other evidence is found in, and this is, there's less consensus on, on this particular item, um, is found in the toxic effects of vegetable seed oils or vegetable oils. So vegetable oils at the, in the volume that we get is ubiquitous throughout our own, our food, our food management system, um, are very inflammatory to our bodies. And yet we eat them, ingest them every day. They're everywhere. So that's where the evidence is. And that's why there's so much consensus on that nutrition and lifestyle choices are, if, if we revise them, change them, improve them, then we could probably eliminate up to 75% of chronic diseases. Well, and we're going to talk about that more in the second half, but I wanted to also clarify, you kind of have given us a little bit of a hint about nutrition, but I was wondering also if there is any other factors that might impact 
impact the health of older adults in, in connection with chronic diseases? Does it differ, say, where people live maybe in different parts of the United States? Or is this more likely to happen in men more than women? Or certain races have a, a greater proclivity or socioeconomic status? Can you address that a little bit as we look at the aging adult? Yes. Yes. So, yes, the southern and mountain states tend to have a higher burden of chronic disease than the northern and western states. And that said, there are some communities that do that are healthier than others. So, for instance, Arlington, Arlington, life expectancy in Arlington is actually higher than the rest of the nation. And we believe that's because Arlingtonians uh, smoke less, eat healthier, are more and are more active and have less obesity disease. Now that said, um, the numbers, the prevalence of all these chronic diseases that we've talked about, they have also gone up in Arlington as well, just not up as fast as the rest of the nation. When you talk about you know racial differences, economic differences, um, they all factor in, but there are other variables involved. If you removed other variables such as access to healthcare, being able to afford healthcare, being able to have insurance, being able to do preventive care, um, you know, if you don't have the money to get healthcare, then you usually don't do much in the way of prevention. Um, and the fact is that a lot of carb-rich foods also tend to be cheaper. So once again, we're looking at um, income disparity kind of uh, trickling down to um, nutritional disparities. So yes, you do see differences like that. Yes. Is gender also a factor, Dr. Osborne? Depends on the chronic disease, uh, because if you're talking about, and, and also depends on where you are. So men um, men tend to succumb to heart disease, um, in, 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 but there are certain cancers that are more common in women, obviously, than men. So it really depends on which con chronic condition we're talking about. Um, but yes, depending on the chronic condition, it, there can be quite a discrepancy between the men and the women. Okay. And and another factor which we hear about all the time, in addition to nutrition, is mm -hmm. physical activity. Yes. Now, how does physical activity impact health status? Is this? And we're going to be talking more about nutrition and good nutrition. How does it compare to the value of the right nutrition? Right. Right. Physical activity is very important, especially to just keeping our mental and physical state kind of intact and in tune and moving. Movement is, is a healthy activity. Um, so very important physical activity. But and I say but because often often people tend to think physical activity is um, is first priority in terms of improving, preventing chronic conditions. But what what we've seen in the studies is that you get more bang for your buck with nutritional upgrades. Um, optimal nutrition actually enhances your overall physical health and your chronic disease prevention um, uh, um, goals more so than physical activity. That doesn't mean you stop physical activity. That should stay. But I think that we need to kind of shift our thinking. Um, the first thing when people ask, oh, you look good. What have you been doing? Um, you know, what kind of exercise? People tend to exercise more because they think that's going to get them healthier faster. But actually, 
if they focus first or at the same time even on optimal nutrition, and we'll go into what I mean by that later, then they will get more bang for their buck. They will find themselves moving faster and, and, and more smoothly toward optimal health, preventing chronic disease, blood pressure that stays normal, blood sugars that stay normal, a waistline for women that's less than 35 inches, for men less than 40, you know, normal blood lipids. Optimal health will move them in that direction, something that physical activity won't do. Okay, well, this is a good place to stop because we're going to learn more about that, what we need to know in the second half. But in case you tuned in late, we want all of our listeners to know that we're talking with Dr. Millie Osborne, who is a holistic psychiatrist, and she's also the author of a book called Fit to Eat, How Industry is Making Us Sick and What to Do About It. So we'll hear more about that in the second half, but you are also listening to WERA Arlington 96.7 FM. We'll be right back. Aging Matters on WERA is brought to you in part by Synergy Home Care. Synergy Home Care provides premier in-home care for you or your loved one throughout Northern Virginia, including personal care, homemaker services, companion and memory care, and transportation. Call 703-558-3435 or visit SynergyHomeCare.com for more information. Synergy Home Care will find a care solution to meet your needs. Welcome back. We're talking with Dr. Millie Osborne, a holistic psychiatrist and also author of Fit to Eat, How Industry is Making Us Sick and What to Do About It. And we talked a lot about chronic diseases, what causes them, and especially in older adults, and how it compares to the need for physical exercise. But we want to learn more about these nutritional guidelines, which Dr. Osborne talked about in her book. So Let's start, Dr. Osborne, by talking about something that you mentioned in your book, the Ignaz Semmelweis phenomena, or phenomenon. What is that? What And what does it have to do with the likelihood of older adults developing chronic diseases? The Ignaz Semmelweis phenomenon, his name is actually Dr. Ignaz Semmelweis, out of respect for this man. Um, this phenomenon is a vicious cycle a tendency for industry to um, ignore scientific facts that save lives in order to uh, sustain profit and power. So they ignore, uh, they basically follow opinions instead of, um, and they also manipulate data. Um, some of that I do go to in, in detail, I detail in the book. I won't detail that here, but that's the phenomenon. Um, it's a vicious cycle, and it's when facts are ignored in deference to opinions uh, for the purpose of sustaining profit and power. It has everything to do with what we're talking about, um, because let me just give you give everyone an example of a chronic disease that we are all too familiar with, which is emphysema, lung cancer and uh, chronic severe asthma induced by 
uh, tobacco smoke, usually for years. Um, when tobacco came out, most uh, most health in healthcare knew basic physiology about lung tissue, and it was pretty. Again, this was the evidence: basic physiology. You put uh, that kind of uh, toxin or that kind of smoke for non-therapeutic purposes against the lungs over time on a daily basis that that would, I mean, we've seen autopsies even, you know, 100 years ago of the lungs that resulted and they were damaged dead lungs. So we knew based on the physiology that tobacco was a dangerous, deadly toxin. And yet when this uh, phenomenon dominated the tobacco industry, millions of people became addicted to tobacco and died from several lung conditions. Um, this phenomenon is evident in the ubiquitous, now, more recently, evident in the ubiquitous use of vegetable oils um, while vilifying saturated fats. The evidence that has been buried over the years is over 100 years old as to the benefits of saturated fat. The evidence as to the toxicity of the volumes of vegetable oils that we get in our diet is also very clear, and yet the guidelines, the official guidelines, continue to recommend vegetable oils and tell us to minimize saturated fats as part of a heart-healthy diet. We are not getting heart-healthier. And along with that, are there other basic nutritional guidelines that are still recommended for older adults, even by nutritionists? Yes. I mean, I guess I'm trying to differentiate and hear you say about whether it's industry who manufactures these products versus nutritionists. Are there other uh, guidelines that you say are basically not helpful to um, our eating patterns? What do we need well, to nutritionists, know? Nutritionists adhere to the official guidelines because uh, for the same reason why doctors adhere to these guidelines, because the claims are that these guidelines are based on valid science. Um, but when we scrutinize the science behind the studies that they have done, uh, most of them biased, some of them industry-sponsored, um, we find cherry-picked, manipulated data. So, for instance... When we look at the official guidelines currently, it's based on what's called a My Plate Plan. And on the My Plate Plan, there is a recommendation of on a round, uh, say, dinner plate, what percentage of the plate should be carbohydrates, what percentage should be fat, and what should percent fats, what percentage should be proteins. And so the current recommendations tell us that we should be eating up to 65% of that plate should be carbohydrates in the form of grains, fruits, and vegetables. Okay. And, but, but then they've doubled down and said, these, the industry, in their narrative, that the reason why we are getting all of this chronic disease is because we are not following their guidelines. We're not doing the, we're not doing the my plate plan like they told us to. And so, all of this chronic disease, the inference is that the, all of this chronic disease is our fault. Okay, As we get older, we're getting sicker because we are not listening to their guidelines. We're not paying attention to what their nutritionists are telling us. 
um, which is what they have published. And they, they just published a, a, an update to this um, 2020 to 2025 um, that is supposed to now be more comprehensive and more thorough. But once again, they claim that up to 90% of Americans are not doing following their guidelines, and that's why we keep getting sick and sicker and sicker. Well, when you actually look at the studies that their guidelines are based on, and even if you look at basic physiology, once again, their guidelines, this is just not true. It's not true that we are at fault. It's not true that Americans aren't eating. I mean, you walk in a restaurant in the, in the grocery store, fruit, fruits and veggies right in front of you. People are always eating their fruits. They eat a lot of grains, actually. They eat a lot of fruits. They eat a lot of veggies. Um, so that claim that it is our fault is false. It's, it's the way they're covering themselves. 50 years of these guidelines, you would think that chronic diseases should be going down. Um, because we have been following these guidelines. Vegetable seed oils are in, oh, just about all of our foods. They have, they have taken saturated fats out for us. Um, so what are we, what's going on? To this point, for all of us or many of us who don't know what's really good or may have some questions, how does an average older adult or older adult uh, and you know a spouse or partner or whatever how do they know what what to believe mm -hmm. i mean i i'm thinking of a of a situation where back and forth in my lifetime eggs and that's not even getting into something that somebody manufactures mm -hmm. this comes from the hen you know sometimes the egg is good for us sometimes not so good mm -hmm. and you get so many different um uh, opinions mm -hmm. or results from studies how does the average person know what is really the right nutritional guideline and right. is going to prevent chronic disease right right so this is this has another this is another reason why I wrote the book, because I saw exactly what you just described. All of this confusion, all of these balls in the air. How do you know what's who's right, who's not? Okay, how, what direction should you go in? Um, sh uh, I, you know, you talk to people. They eat their fruits and veggies. They um, they stick with low saturated fats and and replace them with lots of vegetable seed oils. So they're doing it. So I think the first. The first thing to, the first telltale is um, to gather information. Gather your information. The guidelines are based on flawed data. So if that's the case, where do you find data that's not flawed? Well, I say step back, which is what I did when I wrote the book, and look at the bigger picture. If people are continuing to get sick and not just, yes, we're getting sicker as we get older, but these diseases, these same chronic diseases are also also hitting our grandchildren, okay? Hitting our children, yeah, at young ages. So while we're still, you know, 59, 69, 79, our 20 and 30-year-old children, our 10 and 15-year-old grandchildren are now developing diabetes, high blood pressure, obesity disease. Whereas 50 years ago, you never, you really did, that was a rarity. Now it's becoming increasingly common. So it's, if, if not for us, you need to step back and look at, well, then why is this happening? We're, we're, we're doing, and, and then also challenge, challenge their defense that we are sicker because we're not doing what they told us to do.
because that's just not true. What they told us to do is to eat a majority of carbs. What we know is that when you, the more carbs you eat, the higher your inflammatory, the more likely you are to develop chronic inflammation. We know this. We also know that vegetable seed oils are, it's, oh, it's like they're like too much of a good thing. Because they are put in all the foods now, you're getting too much of them. And that too much is translating into toxins, in your body becoming toxic from it. So I encourage people to, um, I, I think reading my book will help them pull things together and kind of see the bird's eye view of what's going on. There's also a very nice YouTube video, very helpful and resourceful. It's only 35 minutes long. It's by a Dr. Gary Fetk, F-E-T-T-K-E, and it's entitled um, Nutrition and Inflammation. Increasingly, the healthcare industry is, 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 is going all out to put this out there for um, for patients, for all of us. Increasingly, this is becoming recognized. Um, but what's happening is there is a lot of pushback from industry. The profit margin will be affected if there is a shift in terms of, 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 of basically uh, from primarily carbohydrate eating to primarily another form of eating. There will be an impact on profits. And so there's going to be pushback, and this pushback is going to be in the form of confusion and confusing. I mean, here I am. I'm a physician, and I was reading all these articles, peer-reviewed articles, books. I was trying to pull this together. And when I realized how challenging it was for me to pull this together, I was like, there can only be one reason why it's so hard for me to, I mean, I uncovered research, not me, not just me, one of my, one of my collaborators um, uncovered research from over a hundred years ago, valid research, but it didn't fit the profit mar margins of industry. However, it could have saved a lot of lives. Again, the Ignaz Simmelweiss phenomenon. And do you find also that, I mean, we've already talked at length about chronic diseases that this is, might be an outcome are there other possible health issues that older adults uh, might incur as a result of following these traditional nutrition guidelines that you're talking about? Other possible health issues in addition to the chronic diseases that we listed? Yes. Pretty much all of these diseases have increased dramatically since the guidelines were first implemented. Um, the list is already pretty comprehensive. I'm thinking we're covering um, more severe mental illness, um, more severe physical illness. You've mentioned now less carbohydrates and uh, the vegetable oil. Is there some place to find these nutritional guidelines that older adults should follow to reduce the likelihood of chronic diseases? Is there a website? You mentioned now this video, but is there some place, are they going to find this information from their physician? Um, who could, where can older adults, maybe, and even their families uh, get this information? It's a lot of information. And so what I'm describing is being increasingly um, um, talked about in lectures in books, in peer-reviewed articles, and um, I can, in, that's why there's, I mean, there's over 
let's see, over 100 references in my book so that people can, and I encourage people in my introduction to please go through the references, plug them, you know, plug them into Google and read this stuff because information and knowledge is going to be power and empowering. Um, um, there is another uh, YouTube video. Now, I do also have a section in my book about useful videos. I'm not using them as evidence necessarily, but I'm using them as um, I list them and I give the websites because these were these were videos that I felt were really on point and reflected the evidence in the in the articles and the books that I read. And so um, one of them is called Why Fasting Bolsters Brain Power. And that's, a, that's only a three-minute YouTube video, and it's by a professor named uh, Mark Matson, M-A-T-T-S-O-N. Um, so that's another resource. And, um, so in addition to, so I, yes, I do encourage people to read. And they read the book that I wrote. My goal, uh, they will see, I bring up the actual, I detail the science that has been conflict of that has been represented to us to make serious changes in our lifestyle um, that are have been riddled with conflict of interests and cherry picked data for years. Um, so I bring detail like that up in my book. Um, carb restriction will result in insulin restriction, which can result from chronic inflammation, and chronic inflammation is really the root cause of many of these diseases. So nutritional, I, there's, I have not actually officially published any nutritional guidance, guidelines, not to, those are official and those are, those are, that's from what, the American Dietary Association. What I do is offer, is show how we're doing with these guidelines. And to me, that in and of itself is evidence enough once we accept that it is not that we are not doing this. We are doing this. We are following these guidelines. So that defense doesn't hold water. It is that we are doing it, and yet we're still getting sick. And that's because the detail, what they're telling us to do in the guidelines, is flawed. They're telling us to eat too many carbohydrates. Those are inflammatory. They're telling us to eat too many vegetable seed oils. We need to eliminate the use of vegetable oils like canola, soybean oil, sunflower oils, because they all increase our inflammation. And once you have, walk around in a state of inflammation, you are at risk of developing all of these other chronic diseases. So that's the, gu that's the guidance um, that I give in the book as to, and I, I basically outline um, why, why, and where all the information came from. So people can judge for them, judge for yourself what you think and how this can help you. I was also wondering then if our listeners are interested in adapting some of these uh, practices, if you will, will that make a difference, say, in how they prepare their meals at home? Uh, Will breakfast or dinner or lunch, will that look different then? Um, are there particular meals that people are more likely to have rather than what they did traditionally? It is a change. It is definitely a change. Where it, 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 I, I, and change is never, is often not easy. But we do need to reinvent our minds to be open to this positive change if we really want to just get rid of this what seems to be normalized chronic illness in our in our society 
um, we need to kind of evolve our thinking. Um, and so, yes, meals may look different. You may not have the loaf of bread there with your meal. You may not batter fry because batter is all carb and, and deep frying tends to be with vegetables, vegetable oils. So you may saute in olive oil. You may use butter instead of canola oil. So it's a shift, but um, one of the sections of my book kind of gives a menu, um, which is a very delicious, it was a holiday menu, and it, it, it details how you don't have to sacrifice taste and enjoyment of food in order to make this shift. You, it, it does create, I mean, we're used to doing things one way. I was used to doing things the same way as everybody else. I mean, I was eating majority carbs. I was following the guidelines, and I still could not get rid of my chronic pain. Um, I also was a vegetarian for almost eight years. And again, I became a vegetarian for the purpose of trying to get healthier. And as a vegetarian, you know, you're going to eat more carbs. Well, you know, that was more carbs, more seed oils, more vegetable oils, and very low saturated fat. I followed the guidelines. I followed them to a T. And what I found was my chronic pain did not get better. I was still wearing a knee brace until I made a change. And actually, what triggered my finally pulling this together and saying I've enough is enough was when I had yet another chronic pain developing. And um, I was like, I'm not going to be a cripple before I'm 60. This is just something's not right here because I was trying to eat healthy. Well, um, so we need to make less insulin. And we will do that by eating lower carb foods. We need to make insulin less often, which means we, yeah, the average American eats more frequently. Even when we snack in between snacks, most of them tend to be high in carbs. And so um, it, fasting is something I go into some detail about um, intermittent fasting. It's actually a, a time for the body to kind of refresh and rejuvenate itself. It's very good for the body. Um, we need to make we need to make less inflammation. <laughs> that means that means processed foods and vegetable oils need to go. Um, so that that there there there's processes. These are changes to the way we tend to do things. I can say that when I made these changes, um, first of all, within four weeks, and it may not be that fast for others, but within four weeks, the second chronic pain, which was foot pain, which was taking me totally out of the game. Um, it was, it was inflammation of my foot came out of the blue. I had no, here I was a you know, vegetarian. What, what's going on? Um, so it wasn't until I revised my diet and in, inside my book, I have other testimonies. There is like, this is becoming quite a movement. People are getting it. They're calling it a keto diet. But one of the things I emphasize is that this is not a diet I'm talking about. The goal isn't weight loss. The goal, goal is optimal nutrition for optimal health. And so, and, and one of the ways I describe optimal health is metabolic fitness, kind of to counter the syndrome. Metabolic syndrome, well, that's about, you know, having all these risk factors, you know, but metabolic fitness, all, that's a, that's a long list of all these great things that has 80 year olds still biking every day, you know? Um, and that's, that's the goal here. Well, and one thing that, I think would be helpful for our listeners is two things. First of all, obviously people have to go to the grocery store. What should they know about reading food labels? What 
what new information can you share there? And what about eating in restaurants? So help us understand, uh, if we're to, to do this, what we should know both in the grocery store and when eating out. Yes, yes, yes. So um, let's, let's start with fast food because we are a fast food nation. And um, I do address that in the book for that reason, because, you know, so for some people taking away fast food is like taking, you know, how, how do I eat? Well, fast food, and I don't know if there are real studies as to whether fast food is more or less healthy than restaurant food. But when you, you know, the burger, for instance, when you see a burger, most of that burger, that hamburger is really carbohydrate. And the meat actually in that burger is probably the best thing for you. But it is surrounded by the bun. Ketchup has a lot of sugar in it. Um, cheese, often it's American cheese, which is highly processed cheese. And um, that has all tends to have vegetable oils in them. And so you're really looking, when you look at a burger, yes, you may find yourself looking at a burger differently. But, it, you, but you don't have to find yourself not eating the burger. And so my suggestion is you put mustard, mustard tends to, mustard seeds tend to have no sugar and they tend not to add um, oils to them. Put some mustard on just a bare burger, ask for just lettuce and forget the bun and all that other garnishing. Um, or you ask them, do you have um, block hard cheddar cheese, you know, that you can put on it because hard cheeses are not like processed cheeses. They're, they're more natural in a sense. And they don't tend to be cause the inflammation that these processed cheeses cause. So that's one way. You know, the other thing is you walk into a grocery store and um, you see fruits and vegetables. They're usually very colorful right there. You see labels on jars. And one label that I just want to highlight is um, just to give an example of how tricky these labels can be. And it's the whole process learning how to uh, see past the trickiness of the labels. So there are jars of mayo that say avocado mayo. And avocado oil actually is a pretty healthy oil, unlike canola and sunflower oil. Um, so it says, and they, and industry knows that. That's why they put avocado oil, you know, r mayo right up in the front. That's what you see. That's what you go and buy and done. The problem is, and I made this mistake, um, when you turn it around and then actually read the ingredients. So I'm encouraging people to read ingredients specific. I mean, you have to, I had to put my, you know, I don't have reading glasses, but I had to take my glasses off to read it. Um, the ingredients, the first two oils in the ingredients were the toxic vegetable seed oils, canola, sunflower. Avocado oil was somewhere buried in there on the ingredients list, which means it was not the majority of the oil that was in that mayo. Okay. Not only that, the mayo also had sugar in it. A lot of, a lot, you'd be surprised how, how many dressings have sugar. So I encourage people, I did have to hunt and search and I did find a brand that had actually the only oil in the mayo was avocado oil. That was more expensive though. It was actually three times more expensive, which was interesting. Um, so yes, I encourage people to look past the label and what they're trying to sell you get why because the label is designed to get you to pick it up turn it around read the um read the ingredients and the nutrition label facts in terms of uh, sometimes there are things that you would you'd be shocked how much they have in the way of carbohydrates um so i yeah reading the label looking at the nutrition fact how much is carb how much is protein how much is fat 
Um, it's, it's, it's a lesson. It's a lesson. I'm still on that journey. Many of us are still on that journey of looking at that kind of detail when we go grocery shopping. It takes me twice as long to do grocery shopping now. Um, because you'd be surprised how many labels really don't reflect what's in the ingredients. Well, I wanted to mention we're getting close to the end of the interview. One question I just wanted to find out, is there a certain age at which it might be too late to reap the benefits of these new nutritional guidelines that you've been talking about? No, 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 it's never too late at any age. Now, now when we're used to eating a certain way, anytime, anytime we make a change, we can have a reaction. If we're going to eat more um, more healthier fats than vegetable oils. If we're going to eat lower carb, our bodies are going to feel that. And sometimes it doesn't feel good right away. And so, um, um, so I do recommend, especially if you have a chronic disease now, that, that this be done in consult with a healthcare provider, that you make that shift and let them know what you're doing, why. Share, their, share the resources that you read with your provider. Because the other bottom line is people are really shocked when I tell them this, but um, most physicians get very little, if anything, in the form of nutrition education when we're in medical school. Most of us. And so it, most people are surprised when they find that their healthcare provider may not know about a lot of this stuff. But we're learning. We're learning. And we're learning that we've always had a responsibility, just like when tobacco became popular. We've always had a responsibility to kind of be the front line to keep, to prevent a lot of these chronic diseases. Sometimes we step up to the, you know, to the challenge and other times we kind of cave with what industry wants. And we are as guilty of that as anybody else. No excuses. But that I say this because the information that we learn at out there. The healthcare provider may not be aware of it, but often they're very open to understanding what's going on and helping all of us move forward. And if this if this is something that's going to help us move forward, which I am certain it will help me move forward, I no longer have pain, by the way, no chronic pain. And I just completed my first half marathon um, last month in May. And that's something that a 59-year-old, you know, um, a year ago, I never thought I'd be able to do that because I was in so much pain. I don't wear a knee brace anymore. I've been able to throw it away. And my story is not that different from many. There are millions of people who can who can relay um, such positive changes, moving away from chronic conditions because of changes to their nutrition that I've described. Well, I think that's a great testimonial to what you espouse in your book. So I really, again, want to thank Dr. Millie Osborne, author of Fit to Eat, How Industry is Making Us Sick and What to Do About It. Thank you so much, Dr. Osborne, for joining me today. Thank you. Thank you again, Cheryl, for having me. appreciate it. All right. Well, in case you out there, listeners, want to learn more about Aging Matters, you can visit our website, which is www.agingmattersonline.com. And of course, at this site, you will be able to access all of the radio programs that we do, as well as TV show episodes. And you can also access the Aging Matters podcasts on Apple and Spotify. Aging Matters is produced in association with Ink Mouth Media. And you can learn more about this company by visiting inkmouthmedia.com. Thank you for listening to Aging Matters today. And remember, age is just a number, not a label. I'll be back again with you next week. <music>